Dear Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. Help us this day to seek after your will for our lives. Uh, bless us with your Holy Spirit to guide us uh, in every decision. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm Bill. I'm one of the elders here at Church Next Door, filling in for Pastor Scott while he's off on his anniversary trip. A few times a year, uh, the rest of the elders get the chance to come up here and preach and lose a few more hairs off my head from being in front of everybody. You'd think I'd be used to it teaching right for the college, but nope. <laughs> um, so yeah, today we're going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. And that right there has been taken out of context so many times. Um, it, we're going to try and put it back into context today. Right? If you think about it, usually that's taken to, to say, you can't judge me. Just leave it at that, right? Don't judge at all. But that's... Not exactly what, what's happening here. And uh, it's not even possible to not judge at all, right? Even the, the phrase, judge a, don't judge a book by its cover, how do you pick out what book to read without looking at the cover? You, you, okay, that looks interesting. Read the summary on the back. Okay, yeah, that'd be something I want to read. You just made a judgment call based off of the cover, right? So on the face of it, these don't, don't usually make sense. And another issue we have is, Right? What do we mean when we say judge? Right? We need a clear definition to work from right? so that we're talking about the same thing. Right? One of the ways judging is used right, is deciding the outcome of some tournament. Right? So you have judges that watch the, the gymnasts perform and they decide who did better, right? or a boxing match or thumb wrestling match or whatever, right? and they decide right, the winner of that match. You've also got right, judgment to, to mean forming an opinion about something, right? whether you like it or not, or more uh, along the lines of discernment, right? determining if something is good or bad, determining if someone is guilty or innocent. Right? And then you have your eternal fate, our final judgment that God will give. So what kind of judgment do people usually talk about when they say, you can't judge me? Usually it means you can't form a negative opinion about me or please don't call out my sin for being what it is, sin, right? They don't want to hear that. So what is Jesus talking about when he talks about judging? Well, he's going to ask us to have some discernment. And let's put this right back into the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Jesus has been preaching and he's been uh, taking us deeper than the letter of the law, right? He said, don't kill, and we take it deeper. Don't even be angry with your brother. So we're going to see that again here. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So one point he's making here is we're not to judge hypocritically, right? And we see this 
expanded on in Romans 2. I'll read from there a little bit. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do not suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. We see in that last part exactly what the hypocritical judgment is all about. It is self-seeking, right? It's trying to put yourself above someone else, trying to make yourself feel better or make yourself look good, right? It's the same thing that's going on in gossip or slander, right? When you're being critic criticizing someone else, right, for your own selfish motives. So we are not to judge hypocritically, right, to be self-seeking in that moment. Right? Our goal with judgment is to bring that other person to repentance right? and to help them out of that. Well, if we're trying to help them out of it and uh, we're doing so hypocritically, our judgment is worthless, right? We haven't been able to overcome that sin. How are we going to help someone else do that, right? You may have heard the phrase, those who can't do teach, but that's not how teaching works at all, right? Um, if I didn't know how to do any of the math that I taught day to day, I wouldn't be able to teach it at all, right? And a person who hasn't been able to overcome some habitual sin is in no place to help someone else overcome that same sin. They don't know the path out themselves. How are they going to lead someone else? Okay, So we're not to judge hypocritically. And this works on the positive as well, not just right, judging. But if we take a look at the similar passage in Luke 6, Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. And he flips it. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So what are we getting at here? Is this some kind of like karma thing that we're talking about? Good for good, bad for bad? No. First off, karma, right, is trying to earn some good place in eternity, which is not how that works at all. Um, or, you know, if you say something nice to your boss, you don't just find a good parking spot at the grocery store, right? Those things are coincidences. What we are talking about here is living out the genuineness of your faith. Right? Christ has forgiven us an immeasurable amount, and so we turn around and forgive our brothers because we have first been forgiven. So when we live out that genuineness of our faith, right, we are going to do for others what Christ has done for us. Who then are we to judge? Well, where is that speck and where is that log, right? The log in our own eye 
We're to judge ourselves, right? To take a look at ourselves in the mirror, find that log and remove it from our own eye. But when we've done that, we also are to remove that speck from our brother's eye, right? This judgment, this discernment that we need to have when it comes to sin, right, is in our own life and in the life of our fellow believers. We see this too in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read a little bit out of there. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning that the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So this judgment right, to our fellow believers needs to be done gently, right, respectfully, but it needs to still call out that sin in their life and lead them to repentance. That is the goal here. We see that, right? We'll see it when we get to Matthew 18 in a few months or years, depending on how long it takes us to get through Matthew. But uh, taking a look here in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The goal of coming to your brother to point out that sin is to bring them back, right? To bring them to repentance, bring them into a right relationship with you, with the church, with God. Okay? And we're not to judge by appearances alone, right? Um, uh, we saw this happen to Jesus. He healed a man on the Sabbath, and they called him out, Hey, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, Right? But Jesus pointed out to them as well, hey, you circumcise on the Sabbath to keep the law, right? Why not as well heal a man on the Sabbath? You right, raise your neighbor's donkey out of a pit on the Sabbath, right? Why not save your neighbor on the Sabbath? We are to judge with right judgment, not just by appearance's sake. We are to get at the heart of the matter. And that is what the Sermon on the Mount has been doing all along, not just looking at Right, the outward appearance of something, but what's going on in your heart to take care of your brother. Right? And that, again, is the purpose of this. So judge with right judgment. Do not be hasty to judge. Right? Determine what's going on and lovingly lead them to the truth. Now, when we're right, using this discernment in the church, right, um, uh, we need to make sure that discernment is being applied to those leading the church as well, right? And how do we know we're, how to discern what's going on with the leaders in the church? Well, we've got a few passages along those lines. Um, in Matthew 7, just next week, we're going to be looking at Beware of false prophets who come among you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, right? We need to be aware of those false prophets. And how do we identify them? 1 John 4 tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Right, we are to show that discernment. Does that person right, follow Christ? Are they preaching Christ? Right, if it is a prophecy, how do we determine if that prophecy is from God? Well, Deuteronomy 18 spells that out for us. Right, If what they say comes true, that might be a true prophet, not necessarily, but if it, come, if it proves false, they are definitely a false prophet. Right? So if they say, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't happen, they are a false prophet. Right? There were many who claimed to be prophets recently, right, uh, from big churches and people just with a webcam online who said, uh, Trump is going to win a second term in office. That did not happen. Guess what? They're all false prophets, right? They said it was going to happen. It didn't happen. They're not hearing from God. God says, don't listen to them. Right? That's an easy one for us. Are they preaching Christ? That is a big one. They need to hold firm to the word of God. And we see in 1 Timothy 6, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Right? We see this all the time, people who try to use the pulpit to make money. Right? Um, they say, whatever you want to hear, and then throw at the end, and send me money. Maybe not quite like that, but a little more slickly, right? Um, so that is one way to watch out for those false teachers, those false prophets. Are they preaching Christ? And do they live it out, right? Those who are up here preaching have to, right, meet those qualifications, qualifications of an elder laid out in Titus 1. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give good instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Right? So, if they're claiming to hear from God, is that source really God? Test that. Right? Are they preaching Christ? And are they living that out? Remember, they are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to look good on the outside. You will want to listen to them, but what comes out of their mouth is pure evil. So watch out. Right? Again, we're to apply that judgment to our leaders, apply that judgment to fellow believers. Again, the purpose there is to seek their repentance to ourselves. What about those outside the church? How do we handle that? Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. 
What is your responsibility to the unbeliever? To preach the gospel, to lead them to Christ. If all they want to do is attack you, they don't want to listen, you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. Okay? So when someone comes and says, you can't judge me, you can say, well, you're right. God is going to be the judge and he's going to judge by his standard by which we all fall short and deserve hell. It is only through Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross that we can be saved from that. And then move on. They've heard the gospel, right? And that is, that is your duty. So we've seen here with um, this that, again, Jesus is going deeper, trying to deal with the heart of the matter and setting what truly our expectations are before God, which there's no way we can attain. So why is he telling all of this? How are we to do it? Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. We're going to have to ask for help. Now this particular passage, um, we've covered it about four or five times over the last few years. And with how rarely I preach, I've gotten, this is now my third time preaching on this, which means Scott either really likes how I do it, or he doesn't want to do it himself, or maybe he just thinks uh, I haven't done it enough yet. So, right, we're going we're gonna to go at this one more time, and we're going to start with a little bit of a story time, right? Christmas is my favorite time of year. It is absolutely amazing. Um, the joy of the season, the, the blessing of the birth of our Savior. Um, and now with kids, it's even more magical, right? Jovi is three going on four, and Christmas morning is absolutely awesome. I love seeing her face light up, um, and I want to give her absolutely everything, but I don't. Why don't I give her everything on Christmas? Is it because I'm too cheap? Maybe. Is it because I'm a bad dad? I don't think so. I have different priorities for her than giving her all the gifts in the world. Right? My priorities for her, I want her to become a woman of God. Right? I want her to grow in the righteousness and love of Jesus more than I want her to have all the little trinkets that I could offer her. And if we read through this passage more, we see, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? What is this kid asking of his dad? Food. He's hungry. Dad, I'm hungry, right? To provide the basic necessities for our kids. As a dad, that is my duty to provide for my family, right? to provide for their basic necessities. I like to go beyond that and right? include gifts at Christmas and things like that. But God goes way beyond anything I could ever offer. His gifts make us more like him. That is how God likes to give. And he's not going to give us anything that makes us less 
like him. So things like wealth, fame, convenience, health, even our life here on earth are not guaranteed to us. But what is guaranteed, things that make us more like him, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the kinds of things that God is going to lavishly give us. Right? We may want safety, and instead he's going to give us peace in that circumstance. We may want happiness, but he's going to give us lasting joy, again, despite our circumstances. He gives us himself, which is all that we need. So a few questions we can ask ourselves to determine if what we're asking for is something God would be willing to give. Will it bring glory to God? Does it characterize fruit that will abide? Will it make us more like Christ? Does it align with Scripture? If we can answer yes, then those are going to be things He is going to want to give us. If we have to say no to those, guess what? It's not something He's going to want to give us. It has to align with the will of God. Therefore, or so, as it says in the ESV, coming to verse 12 here, this is a big therefore, big so. Jesus is about to summarize his entire Sermon on the Mount. Whenever you wish that other, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets, the golden rule. And we can use this golden rule to work through everything else he's been telling us up to this point, right? To think through and come to those same kinds of conclusions. So if we go back a little bit and think, would I want my spouse to look at someone else lustfully? No, then I better not do that myself, right? Would I want someone to go back on their word to me? No, then I better keep my word. Would I appreciate someone helping me more than I asked? Yes, well then I could go the extra mile for that person. Would I be moved if my enemy took care of me? Yes, well then I should care for my enemies. Would I take the advice of a hypocrite who's still suffering from the same sins as me? No, then I better take care of that log in my own eye before I try to help remove the speck from my brother's eye. So, ways to think through right and apply this and we can again use that uh, to things that aren't directly mentioned here Again, use that same kind of logic and again turn to God's word does it agree with that right. but where else have we seen this phrase for this is the law and the prophets in Matthew 22 but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So that first commandment, to love God. How do we show our love for God? By loving others. How do we show our love for others? 
well, whatever we wish others would do to us, that is what we do to them. The golden rule. Now, in the height of hubris, man has tried to uh, outdo Jesus in this one, and we've got a platinum rule. So, yeah, I'm sure that one's going to work out real well. Let's take a look at it. Right? Treat others the way they want to be treated. So if we finally one up to Jesus and came up with something better than him, let's think through this and prove, no, yeah, definitely not. Okay, so how they want to be treated. Let's, let's start with um, family example, right? If Jovi comes and says, I want ice cream for every meal. Do I treat her the way she wants to be treated and give her ice cream for every meal? No, she's not going to last very long if I only give her ice cream. She needs to eat her fruits and veggies, proteins and grains and all that good stuff, right? And I can think back to when I was a kid, maybe I wanted that, right? But now that I've grown up, I have a different perspective and I can think through what would I want my parents to have done in that situation? How would I want to be treated when I was Jovi's age? Well, I'd want them to tell me no sometimes. Right? If someone is addicted to drugs, asking for one more hit, do you give it to them? Do you, or instead, do you lead them to somewhere where they can get help, right? Guide them to a way out of that, free them from that addiction, right? Lead them to right, rehabilitation, to free them from that, right? If you're in that position, how would you want to be treated? If your spouse asks for a divorce, do you go along willingly? Again, no, right? You tell them that your marriage is worth fighting for, and you pursue some Christian counseling. Again, these are all hypotheticals. Jovi hasn't asked for ice cream for every meal. Kendra's never asked for a divorce. Hypotheticals. Okay. Don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> um, so yeah, we don't do whatever the other person says they want. We do the as we would want to be treated in that situation, and we can think through that by relying on God's word. What is the best way to handle this situation? Therefore, summarizing my sermon here, Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when you can't do that, pray and ask God to make him more like you, to more like his son, who loved God with all his heart, soul, and mind, loved his neighbor as himself. So now you go and do likewise. 